Corinthians 1, 3 to 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, who Ah, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. I'm going to read it in another translation. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we may be holy and unblemished in his sight, in love. He, uh, he did this by predestining us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace that he has freely bestowed on us in his dearly loved son. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he has lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He did this when he revealed to us the secret of his will, according to the good pleasure that he set forth in Christ. Toward the administration of the fullness of times, he to head up all things in Christ, the things in heaven and the things on earth. In Christ, we too have been claimed as God's own possession, since we were predestined according to the one purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. That we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, would be to the praise of His glory. And when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. And then in the message, how blessed is God and what a blessing He is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down the earth's foundations, he had us in mind and had settled on us the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What a pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift given by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We're a free people, free of penalties and punishments, chalked up by all our misdeeds and not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything we brought together and summed up in Him, everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. 
It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, He had His eyes on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall uh, purpose. He's working out in everything and everyone. It's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, this message of your salvation, found yourself home, free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. The signet from God is the first installment on what's, on what's coming, a reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. Lord, I pray that you'd just bless this word, bless this time. Thank you for what you've already done, what you're doing, what's happening in the lives of your saints, Lord. Those that are in Christ, those that believe in you, those that are still struggling to walk with you up that mountain. I pray that you'd, you'd stir us today, you'd open up our eyes, you'd open up our hearts. I think like Paul in this next verse, he says, this is the reason I kneel before the Father and I pray that he would give you wisdom and understanding and grant you the spirit to open up your eyes and hearts and mind and let you see the fullness of what's in store for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody know who that is? <laughs> Hetty Green. Uh, it's a lady, she lived um, from 1834 to 1916. Like in America, it was, or between America and like um, the UK, lived in what was called like the Gilded Age. Loads of people were making a lot of money and losing a lot of money. And she became quite famous. She wore the same black dress every single day until it turned green. People would kind of avoid her because she really smelt. She, um, she tried to live in basically free accommodation wherever she could. She moved from house to house. She would like negotiate the death out of people for any like things she was buying on the street, potatoes or this. She generally ate like plain oatmeal and onions largely cold because she didn't want to waste money. So it was just like this, this tough time. She would haggle over prices she'd pay. She'd refuse to tip waiters. Um, she even lived with a hernia for a while and she went to the doctor and they like wanted to charge her. She said, no, it's fine. I'll just push it back in because you guys are trying to rip me off. Her son like had an accident with his leg and she's like, she could, she could afford to go to the doctor, but she chose to, to try and go to this free clinic and they said no we, we can't treat you here because we know that you can actually afford to 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 pay so she's decided now i'll just treat it myself she treated herself didn't go well the doctor shows up and she's like no i've treated it myself so i didn't even let him get out of a, out of his car or his buggy because if he got out then he would charge her and he's like i've sorted it already the leg eventually got gangrene and the son had to lose his leg when she died, she had a hundred million dollars to her name. She is famous. She's called the Witch of Wall Street. She's famous for being probably the, the most like notorious like miser. She was clearly a millionaire, but she lived as a miser. She lived with like the intention of almost like nothing. She had everything available to her, but she lived and. Like there was an element of her. She's like, oh, God's been good to me. But she still lived 
with this like idea of poverty and it affected it and it had consequences for, for those around her. That estate she had, about 100 million, today is probably about $2.5 billion or even more. So technically she was a billionaire, but she was living as a beggar. And for me, if we read that verse, Ephesians 1, verse 3 to 14, Paul is saying, do you realize what God has done for you? He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Not some spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing. That means there's not one thing that would be a spiritual blessing for you that God has not given you. I think we live and think, actually, God's done some good things, but if he just did this and this and this and this, then he'd really be nice to me. Then he'd really be good. We live with an attitude that it's like he's done, he's done a lot, but actually there's a few things that I could have a word with him with. It's like there's a few things he's missed off the list. The reality is God has done everything that we need, everything that you want for life and godliness he's given you. It's all available to you. It's, it's been done. That's the gospel. The good news is that it is done already. The joy is that actually there's a, there's a mountain for us to climb with God. So it's not a thing of earning. It's not about getting into it. It's, it's actually it's learning to walk this out and not be like Hetty, where we've got all the wealth of heaven available to us. And yet we operate and we taggle and we manipulate and we try and negotiate and we try and it's like actually God has given us access to the resources of heaven and yet we live as if we're like beggars of actually God could, could you please do this for me and please do this and it's like actually we get to live with a confidence that God has done everything we can live with a confidence that it doesn't matter what's happening in a country. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world. That you'll be okay. That we'll be okay. Because we have God who's backing us and looking after us. And it's not that it's always easy. Like there's, there's challenging times and your plane registration gets delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. So that's for Graham. But eventually you'll see how God can come through so, we're going to go through this verse by verse, continuing the, the series we started last week. Quiver started it with, it's just a letter to the Ephesians. And I realized like, that might be taken for granted, but it's actually a, a letter written from Paul to the Christians that are in Ephesus. And the whole idea of it is the, the tension that they're wrestling with between the Jew and Gentiles. And that the Jews don't understand how, how this, they're the people of God. But now the Gentiles who should be excluded are somehow being included in this. And there's, there's an aspect of we're the people of God. And what about those people that are outside? It's like, I know that God has chosen us and we are the chosen people. But what about people that aren't here? What, are people, what about those bad people that don't really belong, that don't believe? That How, how do we include them? Who's included and who's not? And the answer is that it's in Christ that actually everybody that is in Christ finds that blessing. 
Who was watching yesterday the coronation of King Charles III? This is anybody? Nobody. There we go. Hold on. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I was struck by, like, it's just so out of our comfort zone, out of what we used to. You've got like hundreds of guys that are marching and people that are there submitting and like saying, actually, we're going to serve you and submit to you and choosing you and anointing you as our king. And there's this tension where there's people protesting outside saying, that's not my king. And then you've got others that are saying, I'll submit and I'll serve you as my king. And then you've got like this. I mean, this is part of the crown jewels that you would go to like what the Tower of London to go and see. And I was struck by some of the symbolism of this. It's where it's, you've got the ampulla. This is actually containing oil that's been blessed and consecrated at the, um, the church of the sepulchre. Um, you've got the, these like, what's it? The, where is it? The, ar- the armils. It's the bracelets of sincerity and wisdom. You've got the... Um, where was the other one? You've got the spurs that are symbolizing knighthood that he gets given like these gifts from everybody and they, they present this gift and he just touches them. And, but the one that are Oh, and then we've got the Cullinan diamond that's actually in one of the scepters. And it's like, yeah, South Africa represent. Kind of, it's, but I, I was struck by that the one scepter has a dove on it and it's representing the Holy Spirit. And peace. And then the other one's got a cross on it with an orb. And then you've got this like giant orb with a cross on it. And it's like, it is the strangest thing in the world to give somebody. It's like, here's a big ball. It's like, are you going to play with the ball? No, no, no. That ball represents the earth at the time that it was created. Where it's divided into three. Because there was the three continents that were well known at the time. And it's saying, actually... The earth is under the cross. And the king is a temporary representation of the kingdom of God coming. And there's a time in the service where they blocked it off. And it's like the, the music is even playing. Or like Zechariah, the priest, coming and anointing the king. And it's, it's too sacred for everybody to even see. Because it's actually this time of God anointing the king. And it's not a perfect picture but it's something of what we've got you have it all through the old testament where there's an anointing of the king and there's anointing for service that it's actually saying like we need to govern and we need to lead and we need to organize ourselves and there's there's an attempt to to have it as christ-like and as like uh, god glorifying as possible and like i don't know how to necessarily work it out what's the best way to organize us Politically, I'm not saying I'm in favor of this or against it, but I'm struck by the symbolism of it, where they're trying to hold on to, like, actually, God, we want you in our lives and in our community and in our country, and we want to say, actually, we're going to serve you. I know that the queen before, like, had an incredible realization that she was called to play this role, and she would do it to the best of her ability. I pray that King Charles' heart is the same, because what he does represents 
something of the church. And there's something of these gifts. It's like all of these gifts are representing something. And we're going to go through the next few verses and it shows us the multiple different gifts and spiritual blessings that God has given us. So, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. The first thing is that God chose us. That can stir up like a lot of theological debates, and we don't need to go into all of that where it's, it gets into predestination and free will and how does it work, God choosing versus our response and our action. But the first thing is that He chose us is because He set His love upon us. He actually chose us for service. He chose us like He chose Israel. He chose a nation that was the weakest of them all to say, I'm going to set my love upon you and you're going to walk with me and partner with me. And because of that, you're going to show me, like, or you're going to show the world what I'm like. And that's what God wants to do with us. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. It's not just that He chose us that, hey, I like you, Anton. It's like, actually, He chose you to be set apart, to be blameless. He's going to transform you from the inside out so that your life shines because through you, other people will see what God is like. So it's not he chose you and like, screw everybody else. He chose you to show himself to the world. So I think the, the distinction that we make is like, oh, we're the chosen people, not like those unchosen. It's like, no, but you've chosen to show God to those people. So in a sense, he, he's loving everybody in and through us. So I think the debates around like, oh, you chosen and then there's unchosen. It's like, no, all of the chosen is chosen for a purpose to declare God's glory, to show his goodness, to show them what it is like to walk with God. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Predestine us for adoption. For adoption. It's not, it's not like, hey, predestine us so that like, we'll get to heaven one day. It's actually so that we will be children of God. So we can come in and be sons and daughters of God. So we come into a family. It's like, I think we, we look at Christianity and it's so often it's, okay, I've got to do the right thing, not the wrong thing. Show me the rules. Show me the... What is it I have to do to tick the boxes, to do the right thing, to not make a mistake? But actually, God's inviting us into this relationship. He's inviting us into a secure family. He wants us to know that He is our Father. We are His sons and daughters. doesn't matter what a son does, mistake-wise or a daughter, it's like you are still part of the family. It doesn't matter if you make a mistake and a mistake and a mistake and a mistake and a mistake. You're still part of the family. And this adoption, this was in like the Greco-Roman time. It's like adoption was actually, I'm going to choose somebody that will inherit my estate. And once you were adopted, you could not be unadopted. There was no way of going back. There was no way of taking it back. This was 
like in a sense, it was more powerful than actually having your own kids because this was chosen. It's like there's elements of like, hey, kids is just a natural byproduct of life. This is, I don't have an heir. I don't have the kids that I want. And I want you. I choose you. I choose you and I've planned for you to be my heirs. For you to carry on my name. A son carries the image of a father. It's like, they always say, like an apple doesn't fall far from a tree, basically. It's like the son and daughter is supposed to embody the nature and character of God. Like Jesus came to show us the father. We are called to embody his character, his nature. We are called to operate in the same way that Jesus did. He didn't come like criticizing, condemning. He didn't come. He came loving. And yet he came strong to confront what was the injustice in the world. I think we've got a mindset where a lot of the Christianity that I grew up was, um, grew up with was almost a Ned Flanders kind of Christianity. If you know what that is, you watch The Simpsons. I've got one person in the back there. But <laughs> Ned Flanders was Homer Simpson's like neighbor. And he was the good Christian that you could always take advantage of. You could always like be a pushover because, hey, he's a Christian. He has to forgive you. And he has to just be kind. And he has to be nice. And it was a, just such a soft, like almost wimpy, like, picture of Christianity. And there's truth to it because, yes, we will be gracious and we will be forgiving and we will be loving and we will be kind and we call to be that all the time. But there's also a strength inside of Christianity. There's a strength inside of Jesus that it's like, was he always forgiving and kind? Absolutely. Except when it's the Pharisees that are abusing other people. And then he brings out the whip and like there's a strength inside of him that it's like, actually, you can push me like so far and then no further. It's, there is a strength that it's, we don't lay down a car. How do I say it? It's, there's a, like the meekness of Jesus. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is trusting God to fight the right battles. So that's what we do. You turn the other cheek not out of weakness that you can't fight back. You turn the other cheek out of strength to say you don't know what you are doing. So, and I think that's where like a lot of the time we feel like we have to not give in. We have to not do something because actually we don't have the strength to stand up. We don't have the courage to stand up for what we believe in. But God is challenging us to have the courage to stand up, but to stand up in the right way. That it doesn't come out of anger and frustration and retaliation, but it actually comes out of love for those that are lost. Love for those that aren't seeing. And finding ways to be winsome and actually share the truth that we've got. That it wins over hearts and it wins over minds and it transforms the culture and it transforms our family and it transforms our friendships. So if we're not... Like, we don't turn the other cheek because we have to. We turn the other cheek because it displays the character of God and the grace of God. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom 
and insight. Redemption is buying somebody back. It's restoring them to the place that they were meant to be. I was watching another questionable movie. You might have seen it. Django Unchained. It's, it's a story of Jamie Foxx. If you're sensitive to language and violence, please don't watch it. But story of two slaves in America that get separated. Or they were married, but then they were separated. And the one gets set free and becomes a bounty hunter. And then how this bounty hunter goes and almost wants to orchestrate a plan to buy back his wife and to restore her. Because if he goes in and just fights, then it's still going to be an illegal thing and they're still going to be on the run. And the whole story is about how we orchestrate this plan to fight against the oppressor, terrible like slaveholder. And, and then they, they set her free and... It, the whole story is about how to restore them to life and to the rightful place. And there's a picture of the Redeemer is the one that goes on a mission to restore you to the rightful place. And Jesus is the Redeemer and you have been bought back. And there is nothing holding you back by His blood. He has set you free so that actually you can be restored to the rightful position of sons and daughters of God. Displaying His glory, His goodness, His character in and through our lives. Making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. The amazing thing is God has actually revealed His plans and purposes to us mere humans. And mortals he has chosen to like show us what he is like what he is busy with what he is doing he has made known to us the mystery of the gospel the truth of what like angels long to look into the gospel they long to see what is God doing I've seen like how it's fallen I know what God is like how's he gonna restore this and look at what he's doing look at what Jesus did Look at what it's doing to people. Look at how it's restoring. And we may look and say like, oh, the world is terrible and it's falling apart. It's like, no. If you look at the world, the world has been transformed already by the gospel. You speak to most non-Christians, they have so much of Christian values that have been embedded inside of them. They love an underdog story. In ancient Rome, you did not love an underdog story. Everybody loved power and success. We love an underdog story because we are influenced by the gospel to actually appreciate weakness. We appreciate actually the people that are overlooked, the people that are marginalized. We enjoy it when they succeed. That comes from Christianity. That comes from appreciating the marginalized and how to actually create justice. There's a desire for social justice around the world, which I think is being used and abused. But the desire to actually look for those that have been hurt, for those that have been marginalized, those that have been oppressed, that comes from Christianity to restore the broken, to establish a justice in society. I was also thinking yesterday with the, the coronation and how everybody is looking and there's the king. And imagine one day when Jesus returns. And there's the rightful coronation. And the whole world bows their knee. 
Like we try and create this like pomp and circumstance, but imagine that one day. I just, I couldn't help but think like how feeble Charles looked with his crown. It's like, you've got a crown on your head and you can barely stand up. I'm like, this is going to be our king that takes his rightful place. It's like a sword on his side and he stands up and he's strong and yet he's loving and kind and there's a grace and a tenderness in his eyes and it's like, that's going to be somebody you want to follow and want to worship and want to lay down your life for. We can not help but be united around him when we see him in all his glory. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. There is an inheritance awaiting you, like in store for you. That's that mountain that Sandy was talking about. There is a mountain for you to climb. Not to earn salvation, but because God has plans and purposes for you. He wants to have you reach the fullness of your potential. That is a picture of the reward in store for you. If you stay at the bottom of the mountain, does that mean you're not like saved? No. But you're going to miss out on the joy of journeying with God. You're going to miss out on the joy of what it means. You have had the privilege of being given an inheritance to like pursue and to go after and there's a plan for you another movie i was watching this week adjustment bureau it sounds like that's all i do um <laughs> but i watched this one specifically it's there's a there's a interesting concept of just how life works and the the connection between the plan and then our choices and i won't ruin it but it's an incredible like challenge to, to how we approach life and how do we approach life with God and is there a perfect plan or is there a, a change in the plan and do our choices matter and it's not a perfect analogy and it's not a perfect like outcome but there's a picture of somehow God works with us partnering with him and he is perfectly in control no matter what but there's somehow we as we journey with God he looks at what we're doing and he, he, he partners with us. You see it in like Old Testament where there's times where God's, ah, I'm upset with Israel, I'm going to wipe them out. And then Moses goes and prays and he says, actually, yeah, it's fine. We'll forgive them. And there's an intercession and there's a transformation. And then there's other times where you see God's going to do this and then he prays and then it changes. And like, how else can we think about it when we pray and moves God? God's asking for us to partner with Him. And there's this incredible divine mystery that we influence the future as we partner with God. And yet He perfectly holds the future in His hands because He is God and we are not. Can I explain how those work together? No. But the Bible talks about both. And we have to have a, a, a category for holding both together. It's like, man, our future is up to how we partner with God. How high we go up that mountain is how high we partner with God. How closely we dive into His Word and let it influence us and shape us. And how much we partner with people in church. And how much we reach out to them and love them and care for them. And let them influence us and lead us and guide us and change us and serve us. And how much we do the same. And the more we do that, the more we transformed into God's like nature and yet, God is completely in control and sovereign over all of it. And He can do whatever He wants. 
so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him. I want to just highlight the fact that we have a hope. That no matter where you find yourself, whatever happening, He gives us a hope because of the gospel. There is an eternal hope in what God is doing. We're sealed with a promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Think about like back in the day you would have those wax seals on an envelope or a letter and there was a picture and there was a seal and you would make a mark based on who sent it and whose like nature it was. And there's something of the Holy Spirit being a, a seal for us. That it's like actually there's, there's God's imprint on us. But then there's also like if you get like a seal, I was thinking like a tomato sauce bottle and there's a pop, there's a seal when you know that there's a freshness to it. That actually the seal is a, like a, it's, a, it's a covering, it's a protection. It's to know that you are actually sealed with the Holy Spirit, that there is no undoing this. The seal is the Holy Spirit because He has done it and it is done. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. It is sealed. Like Eugene Peterson said, it's like it's sealed, it's signed, it's delivered. It's like signed, sealed, delivered. It's, Jesus says, I'm yours. Um, it's like I'm not a big one for like organizing these things and then it's like, hey, it spells a word. But just going through this, it actually did. So if we chosen, I just moved hope up. Chosen, we have a hope. We are adopted. We are redeemed. God has revealed His mystery to us. There is an inheritance locked up for us. And we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And it actually spells charis, which is grace. It is the glorious grace of God. It is the grace of God that does this for us. He has given us Every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been given to us. There is nothing that we don't, like, don't have that we desperately need. We might think that they are. We might think that actually God needs to sort out my finances or my health or my kids or something for me to actually walk in. The, but he doesn't. He has given you everything you need for life and godliness. To operate in the fullness of what God has called you to. Lord, I ask that as we go through this letter to Ephesians, that you would take it place it inside of our hearts that it would transform us from the inside out that you teach us how to walk with you how to mine your word for the truth of a letter written to Christians 2,000 years ago is still relevant to how we approach unity now that we would learn how to be transformed by what you have done for us Lord Help us to, to live 
and operate in the fullness of these blessings, Lord. Not like Hetty that lived as a miser, yet she was a millionaire. Or as beggars, yet we are billionaires. Lord, let us live and operate as sons and daughters of God. We've been chosen. We've been adopted. We've been redeemed. You have revealed your mystery to us. You have an inheritance locked up for us. We have hope of a future, of a transformation of our lives, of our families' lives, of our country. There is an inheritance locked up for each and every one of the people here, Lord. I pray that you'd help us to walk it out step by step, empowered by the Spirit, sealed by the Spirit, transformed by the Spirit, empowered by the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you.